0: Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and in the back part turn to page 153, and you would be at Ephesians chapter 5. It was at 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, 1912, when the impossible happened. The unsinkable ship, the Titanic, sank. The most celebrated cruise ship in history found itself on the bottom of the North Atlantic, having sailed four days earlier from Southampton, England, on the way to New York City on its maiden voyage. It all went according to schedule until that Sunday night when the ship ran into an ice field. Most of us are aware of the story, which you may not know really is the rest of the story. You see, the Titanic had received four warnings of impending danger that very day from ships who were in the midst of the ice, but they chose to ignore all four, and several of them did not even reach the bridge, so the captain could receive them. At 11 p.m. that Sunday night, the wireless operator, John Phillips, received a direct warning call from the ship California which was 10 miles away in the midst of some very large ice. Phillips had grown tired that day, having sent messages all day to America, so that night when he received the warning, he very cavalierly tapped back, shut up, shut up, I'm busy. Forty minutes later, the beloved ship of the White Star Line collided with an ice behemoth, and within hours, the Titanic rested in her watery grave along with 1,500 passengers and crew Certainly, one of the world's great human disasters. The failure to recognize wisdom and the failure to heed wisdom leads to catastrophic results. And that is not only true with a ship, that is true of our individual lives. Failing to recognize wisdom and failing to heed wisdom will lead to catastrophic results. Our lives will be far better if we choose to recognize and heed wisdom. We've been involved this fall in a series of messages we have entitled Amazing Grace. And today I have entitled the message, The Wisdom of Amazing grace, and if you've been with us in our study, you know that we have been saying that grace is all over the place, and God's generous, undeserved goodness can be seen in the wisdom that He provides to us. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read verses 15, 16, and 17, and would invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Paul writes here, "'Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men or people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is.'" Now, I am incredibly, incredibly excited today because I have so much good stuff to share with you. I'm unsure really how we're even going to be able to cram it all in. But I want to move quickly. I want to jump right into it and give you the plan for the day. And the plan for the day involves two basic things we want to look at. We want to look at the very basics about wisdom first. We're going to look at the need for wisdom, the source of wisdom, the call to heed wisdom. And after looking at the basics of wisdom, the second thing we're going to look at are two common tendencies that you tend to have, that I tend to have, and the first one is to underestimate the significance of every choice in our life, and the second tendency we tend to have is to underplay the magnetic lure of sin, and the word every choice is very important, and magnetic lure is very important in those points. So we're going to move quickly Let's begin the basics by looking at the need for wisdom. Why do we need wisdom? Well, I believe that's what he is addressing in Ephesians chapter 5, and we want to look at these verses a little more closely for a moment or two. Now, in this context of Ephesians, beginning in chapter 4 and verse 25, and leading right up to these verses, are a whole series of directives that are being given by Paul to those who are followers of Christ, and beginning with verse 15, 16, and 17, he now talks to us about how we are to live out those directives. And look at what he says in verse 15. He says, be careful how you walk. We would say, be careful how you live. Don't be careless. We need to walk, we need to live, not as unwise people, but as wise In other words, what he says is, as we live our life, utilize wisdom. And then he says in verse 16, making the most of your time. And some of us might look at that and say, well, he's just talking about time management. I don't think that's really the thrust here. In the original language, there are two words for time. The first word is the word chronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, chronos. Kronos refers to hours and minutes. How are you using your hours and minutes? The second word is the word kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And kairos refers to a season or a period of time. And that's the word that is used here when it says, make the most of your time, your kairos. I think the idea is very well-captured by the NIV and the New Living Translation. It says this, make the most of every opportunity. Utilize wisdom, making the most of every opportunity. I might translate this, live strategically as you live your life. Why do we need to do that? Why do we need to make the most of every opportunity? Why do we need to live strategically? It says, because the days are evil. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, it says that we live right now in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. That word that is translated crooked is the word that we get the word scoliosis from, where you have a curvature of the spine. The generation in which we live is is curved way off. Uh, The word perverse means warped. And when it comes to the truth of God, and when it comes to God's righteousness, we live in a generation that is just out of whack. It is warped. What that really means is that we do not live in a neutral environment. Now, what's interesting about this is that we somewhat understand that intellectually in our heads, but as we're living our life out, we're not really functioning that way. We do not live in a neutral environment. The world in which we live, there is always this cultural undertow that is happening. Have you noticed that purity is not a cultural value? Have you noticed that modesty is not a cultural value? Have you noticed that operating with a mentality that others are more important than yourself is not a cultural value? And all of these warped and twisted values dance before us on a regular basis in the movies and on television and on our computer screens. You know, you'll see something like this, and the product can vary, but basically the message is, you know, happy people have this stuff, whatever the stuff may be. Have this kind of a car or this kind of electronic piece of equipment. Happy people have this stuff. And by the way, there's no down payment for six months. See, that's the kind of stuff that's always dancing in front of us. We see, see, see things like this. Movie titles will not appear on your bill. See, we don't live in a neutral environment. There's a new movie that just came out this week entitled, What's Your Number? Haven't seen the movie? I don't plan to see the movie. But part of the premise of the movie is that several of the girls are reading a women's magazine article, and it says that the average girl has sex with 10.5 men before she gets married. And the implication, of course, is that if you're at five or six, that's pretty modest. We don't live in a neutral environment. Look at verse 17 of Ephesians 5. He says, so then, because it's not a neutral environment, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And in the context, the will of the Lord is that we would live strategically, that we would heed wisdom, that we would walk as wise. Now, as I said, we're going to move along pretty quickly today. We wanted to begin with some basics about wisdom. We've looked at the need for wisdom. Now we want to look at the source of wisdom. Turn to me, with me uh, to the middle part of your Bible, to the book of the Proverbs. You can find the Psalms. The Proverbs is parked just to the right of the Psalms. Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 2 to 5, Proverbs 1, 2 to 5. Now, to some, when they look at these Proverbs and know that they were written hundreds of years ago, they would say, well, those are just quaint relics of a bygone era. But in reality, what we have in the Proverbs are nuggets of God's amazing grace to us. And as these are compiled by Solomon, he says in in verse 2, I compiled these so that people like us "...with know wisdom and instruction, and discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior and righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel." When we talk about the source of wisdom, the source of wisdom is the very heart of God. And He doesn't want to leave us just simply wandering around aimlessly. Thus, He presents to us wisdom. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, "'If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously.'" You see, that's His amazing grace. And without reprimand, he doesn't get insulted when we ask him for wisdom. And the promise is, and it will be given to him. The source of wisdom is God's heart. And the source of wisdom is also wise counsel from those who have been down the trail ahead of us. Look again at... at Chapter 1 of Proverbs, in verse 5, the last part, it says, A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. The source of wisdom is the heart of God. The source of wisdom is wise counsel by those who've been down the trail ahead of us. And we're going to look at a number of verses in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of a fool seems right, but a wise man listens to advice. Now, as we said, the Proverbs was compiled by Solomon, and you might remember who he was. He was the wisest man who ever lived apart from the person of Jesus Christ. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it talks about how God gave to him a wise and discerning heart. And God said of Solomon, he said, there has been no one like you ever before, and he said, there will be no one like you after you've lived. God gave to him this immense pool of wisdom. Now, do you you see something strange here when he talks about how a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel? Why would the wisest man who ever lived say it's strategic to listen to wise counsel? And the answer is, Because he was the wisest man who ever lived. He understood the importance of that. You know, elite great athletes, and you might think of one that you really admire, could be any sport, but elite great athletes have one thing in common all of them have coaches. All of them desire someone who can help them maximize their potential. They want another source of insight. They want additional perspective. And that is why a man or a woman of understanding will acquire wise counsel. We'll look at more more on that later. We're simply working our way through the basics about wisdom. Wisdom. We've looked at the need. We've looked at the the source of wisdom. Now we want to look at the call to heed wisdom, the call to heed it. Look in chapter 3 at verses 13 to 15. How blessed is the person who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For her profit, that is, of wisdom, is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She, wisdom being personified here, is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Now, again, we have this intellectual assent to that idea. But so often in our everyday life, we're not living like that was true. That wisdom is more precious than jewels and nothing you can desire compares with with wisdom. Look at chapter 8 and verse 32 of Proverbs. Chapter 8, verse 32. Again, the the call to heed wisdom. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me. See, wisdom is being personified as a person here. Listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways who heed instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man, the person, the woman, the young person who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me, literally misses me, rejects me, injures himself, And all those who hate me love death, the call to heed wisdom. Now, that leads me, as we're moving along quickly, to two common tendencies that we have. This is a tendency that I struggle with. It's a tendency that you struggle with. And that tendency is to underestimate the significance of every choice we make. You know, our destiny in any area of life is nothing more than a culmination of a sequence of choices that we make. It is a series of choices that I will make and you make that will affect our health. It's a series of choices that we make that will affect our relationships. It is a series of choices that we make that will affect our future dreams. It's a series of choices that we make That have an impact on our financial situation. It's a series of choices that we make that have a direct result in our spiritual life. Our destiny really is a culmination of a sequence of choices. Now, I want to throw a thought out here for you, and I want you to get your arms around it. Major bad decisions are preceded by a series of unwise choices. Now, just I'll repeat it again, just think about it. Major bad decisions are preceded by a series of unwise choices. And I want you to use your imagination for a moment to refresh your mind. I want you to think about it, especially if you're older. Now, if you're really young, you may not have had a really big mess yet in your life. But if you've lived for a little while, you've had a big mess that you've gotten into. And I want you to think about a big mess in your life. It might be a big mess from this past year. It it might be a big mess from years ago. It could be an educational mess you found yourself in, a relational mess. Could be a financial mess. Could be a vocational mess. Do you have it in your mind? You think, can you think of a certain big mess that you got yourself into? you remember when you're in the middle of that mess, the thought that comes to your mind? How did I get myself into this big mess, right? I can think of several in my head right now. And we always say, how did I get myself into this? And if you reflect on it long enough, the answer is a series of unwise choices got me into that big mess. I want to share with you a story that Andy Stanley tells. He he tells it in his book, which is around this whole theme of wisdom called The Best Question Ever. By the way, the best question ever is the question, what is the wise thing to do? But here's the story as he relates it. He says, recently I listened to a broken-hearted father describe his failed attempts to reconnect with his adult daughter. He could not understand why she refused to return his calls or accept his gifts. She was now married and had a little girl of her own. And in her father's words, she was depriving him of his rights to be the grandfather that he had always dreamed of being. From where he stood, she had shut him out of her life for good and with no justification. There's a little red flag right there. And he was devastated. But that wasn't the whole story. When his daughter had turned 12, this man was in the third year of an affair with an employee. Now, as I tell you the rest of the story, I want you to think about this series of unwise choices that were made. Think about the series of unwise choices that you make that even lead to an affair. How many more unwise choices that lead to three years of an affair? So just listen carefully to all these unwise choices. His wife suspicioned what was going on, but could really never prove it. And on many occasions, his wife would drive around their small town looking for his car, Their daughter was with her mom the night that she spotted his car in a hotel parking lot on the edge of town. This 12-year-old girl saw her father come out of the room with his girlfriend in tow. She endured the humiliation that accompanied the divorce proceedings. Now just stop for a minute. You see all the bad choices that are going on here? Not only do you have this three-year affair, now you are discovered, but we still end up in divorce. Several more choices were made there. And then the daughter didn't hear from her father for 15 years. How many more choices were there in that sequence that were bad? And he goes on to say, As much as I empathize with a father who wanted a relationship with his only daughter, he said, I couldn't help but think, you did this to yourself. You robbed yourself of the joy of seeing your daughter graduate from high school. There's another unwise choice. You missed the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to give her way at her wedding. There's another unwise choice. You weren't there for the birth of your granddaughter. There's another unwise choice. He's in this big mess, just a culmination of a sequence of choices. He goes on to say this, as a series of irresponsible decisions that robbed him of what could have been and what should have been. And then the interesting thing is he isn't the only person who was affected. His daughter certainly didn't imagine growing up without a dad. His wife certainly didn't dream of being a single mom. His decisions derailed the dreams of everyone who was close to him and the shrapnel of his choices wounded everyone who loved him. See, when we fail to recognize and heed wisdom, it leads to catastrophic results. But isn't it interesting? Nobody ever plans to go there. No one ever plans to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to make a big mess in my life somewhere. No one ever runs around and says, you know what I want to do? I want to just run my marriage into the ground. You know, no one ever says, you know what, my plan is just to bury myself in consumer debt. You know, my plan is to become addicted to a substance. My plan is to flunk out of school. My plan is I just want to get fired from my job. My plan is I want to get an STD or become infected with HIV. See, we don't operate that way. But it's a culmination of a series of choices that leads to a big mess. And you know, part of the problem we have, we're going to be real frank today, part of the problem is, I think, for, it's true for me, and I think it's true for you, is a lot of times we suffer from the someday syndrome. We know some of the choices we're making are unwise, but, you know, someday I'll take a different tact. I'll deal with this later. We want to procrastinate on changing our choices. Someday syndrome. Someday I'm going to stop partying. Someday I'll make it a priority to get all my homework done. Someday I'll give some money to the kingdom of God and and give money to those who are needy. Someday I'll start having a budget. Someday I'll stop charging up my credit card beyond what I can pay. Someday I'll begin to work on being a better spouse. Someday I'll spend quality time with my kids. Someday I'll stop getting drunk. Someday I'll get involved in the ministry of Christ since he died for me. Someday I'll connect with a small group. Way too often we suffer from the someday syndrome. And just being honest with one another, you know, we, I'm including myself here, are master excuse makers. We're masters at it. But we underestimate the significance of every choice we make. And remember, our destiny is a culmination of a series of choices. Many of you are aware that... um, I found out at the end of 2001 that I had prostate cancer and had surgery in the beginning of 2002. Uh, What you may not know is that for a number of years before that all happened, I had been thinking about increasing my life insurance. I've been saying, you know what, it would be wise. I had a lot of life insurance, but I need to have more life insurance. But I kept delaying. It was the someday syndrome. I'll take care of that next month. You know, in the weeks ahead, I'll deal with that. I'm not going to deal with that right now. I'm way too busy doing these other things. By the way, once you get prostate cancer, you're not getting any more life insurance. I fell victim to that. The someday syndrome got me there. If you're single right now, Let me ask you this question. What kind of a spouse would you like to marry? And when you have that in mind, what wisdom do you need to apply right now in your relationships to help ensure you're going to meet that kind of a person? If you are a parent right now or you hope to be a future parent, What do you want to share with your children one day about the choices that you made in your life? You know, one of the toughest positions a parent can find themselves in one day is when they have some things in their life that they hope their children never discover. If you're a parent or a future parent, what changes, what wisdom do you need to apply right now What would wisdom dictate you do right now? This is true in the financial realm. Where do you want to be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Where do you want to be financially? Want to be out of consumer debt? What do you need to start doing right now? What do you need to stop doing right now? We have these two common Tendencies. The first one is to underestimate the significance of every choice we make. But there's another common tendency that we have, and that is to underplay the magnetic lure of sin. The magnetic lure of sin. See, here's what we tend to be like. We tend to trust our intentions. See, it's not my intention to step over the line of sin. It's not my intention to step over the line, but here's what we tend to to do. We tend to think, how close to the line can I get? How close to the line of sin can I get without sinning? And what we tend to do is we tend to hug that point, to hover near it. And a lot of times we'll lean over that point, you know, get a little closer look at it we tend to underplay the magnetic lure of sin. And this is true in multiple arenas, but it is extremely common in the sexual arena of life. Think about how people are in dating. Well, we may have this line, but let's get as close, let's hover, let's even lean over the line. How about if you are married and you have a relationship with a member of the opposite sex? And we can begin to say, I'm not going over the line, but I'm going to get as close to that as I can. It's true in the arena of pornography. This is the way pornography gets us. It's not my intention to go over there, but I'm going to get as close as I can and sort of lean over. Uh Uh-oh. We underplay the magnetic lure of sin. Look at Proverbs chapter 7. And verses 6 to 9. In Proverbs 7, he's talking about the wiles of the harlot, the prostitute, but you need to understand, it's really a picture of sexual immorality. And in chapter 7, verse 6, the is sitting there, and he says, I, I'm at the window of my house, and I look out through the lattice, through the shades. And I see among the naive... And I discern among the youths a young man lacking in sense. A young man, by the way, who wasn't going to get involved with the harlot. But he was going to come pretty close to the line. And so he passes through the street near her corner and he takes the way to her house. And it's in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. I'm not going to get involved with the harlot, but I'm going to go buy her house, you see, in the middle of the night, and I'm just going to sort of see what's happening there. And this, by the way, this whole story goes all the way through verse 22. We won't look at all the verses, but he's just there. He's just going close to the line. In verse 10, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. Verse 13, so she seizes him and kisses him with a brazen face. She says to him all these things that follow in the following verses. Then you come down to verse 22, and suddenly, I was just going to go near. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. we tend to underplay the magnetic lure of sin. I just want to hover near the line. I'm not intended to go... Whoa. The magnetic lure. Can you imagine somebody who was a recovering alcoholic, and every night they went into a bar and they grabbed a stool, and they would say, you know, there's nothing wrong with me being here as long as I don't start taking a drink. If you've known with anybody who struggled with an alcoholism, you'd be going, Are you nuts? That's your plan to go to the bar and sit on a stool every night and say there's nothing wrong as long as I don't take a drink? But you see, that's the way we tend to be. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 8, speaking again of the harlot, which is really the personification of sexual morality, keep far away from her. Do not go near her house. That's what wisdom says. Now, why do we do that? Why do we like to hover near the line? Why do we like to sort of lean over the line? It's because we rationalize. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be careful. I know I'm going to go near the line, but I can handle this. I'm just going to do this just once. I can stop, even though that magnetic lure is pulling on me, I can stop when I want to do it. Or, you know, other people in the church do this all the time. How about this rationalization? No one will know. No one's going to find out. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says this, flee sexual immorality. What does that mean? Run from it as fast as you can. That's what wisdom says. Let me ask you this question. Why don't we run? We don't run because we don't fear it. That's why we're underplaying the magnetic lure of it. We don't fear it. When uh, I was growing up, we would often go visit my grandparents who lived in Waterford, Pennsylvania. In a certain era, my grandmother and grandfather lived up on this little hilltop, and they had three and a half acres of land. And I don't remember if I was seven or eight years old, but my grandfather had, at that time, this very large German shepherd dog. I mean, it was big. It came up about to my chin, you know, to my nose. And it was one of those dogs who was so big, so muscular, and just loved to jump on you. And it, it just wasn't, you know, smiling, it seemed to me, when it was jumping on me. And so, as long as my grandfather around, everything was fine with a German Shepherd. But man, if you saw that dog out there coming at you, I, whenever that happened, I would flee. I would run the opposite direction as fast as I could. And one particular time, I was out on on part of their land there, and and apparently they let the dog out the door. And I saw that dog coming for me, and man, I scrambled out of there as fast as I could. The only place I could see that was a place of safety was our family car. And, you know, I opened the car door and, and used that to help climb up. I scrambled up onto the top of the car, and the dog's up there kind of barking and, you know, jumping on there. And then while I'm up there, the door of the car partially closes on my foot, and I have a cut there, and I got blood coming down, and my grandparents come running out, and I said, I got bit, I got bit by the dog, you know. My grandfather looked at it and said, no, you didn't get bit by the dog. But I was afraid of that dog. When I saw it coming, I was fleeing. Why do we not flee sexual immorality? Because we don't fear it. We would rather play with it, we would rather flirt with it, we'd rather dance with it, rather than sprinting away from it and not reasoning with it. Look at Proverbs chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4, Proverbs 5, 3 and 4. It says, the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end... She is bitter as wormwood. Remember, this is just a picture of sexual immorality, sharp as a two-edged sword. You'll get cut when you mess with it. Chapter 9, verses 17 and 18 of Proverbs says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. This seems in the front end to be a good deal, but he does not know that the dead are there, and her guests are in the depths of Sheol. See, we never underestimate the significance of every choice that we make. We need to ask ourselves the question, what's the wise thing to do? Now, back in in the early 90s, I was still under the illusion that I was ruggedly handsome. It's not really so much of a problem anymore. But there was a time when, um, this was back when we were meeting downstairs in the Fellowship Center for Worship. And there was this attractive divorcee, she was about 30, and and I had counseled some with her. And it was not unlike today, you know, people don't sit normally in the front rows, and so uh, I used to always sit in the center section down there in the very front row, no one ever sat behind me. And this one particular day, she sat not only in the row behind me, but in the seat directly behind me. And I want you to know, she smelled great. And the first day that happened, I remember I turned around and said hi to her. And I saw something in her eyes that just alarmed me a little bit. The next Sunday, she's sitting right behind me again. And you know, part of the rationalization in your mind is, you know, there's nothing wrong with being friendly but I can still remember sitting there and a little fear came over me. And wisdom was saying to me, keep your face going forward. She sat behind me another two Sundays. I never turned around and talked to her again. Not long after that, she moved back into the congregation before long she was gone. See, we've got to understand that the magnetic lure is strong. And we need to take wise precautions now. I would encourage you that if you are dating, pre-decide now about the line you're gonna have, and then don't go walking close to it. Predecide what environments do you need to avoid? Predecide what do you need to disconnect or block when it comes to media. And just so you understand, we're using this as one arena, but these principles apply to multiple realms. The financial realm, there's the lure of stuff. This stuff will make you happy that's always there. There's the vocational realm where the lure of being immersed in our career at the price of all of my relationships. These are all areas that these principles apply. What is the wise thing to do? What does wisdom say? Now, you know me. I want to be very practical. Let me give you two action points for all of us coming out of this message today. Action point number one is make wisdom in every moment priority. Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Second action point is seek wise counsel regularly. We all need coaching. Proverbs 13, 10, wisdom is with those who receive Counsel. And I like Proverbs nineteen twenty. It says, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. You know, a lot of times we don't ask for counsel. Let's be honest. A lot of the reasons why we don't ask is because we know that what they're going to recommend is the opposite of what we've already decided to do. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it, and, and you know you've heard it you hear people say, I wish I'd only listened to God. I wish I'd only listened to my parents. I wish I'd only listened to my spiritual leader. I wish I'd only listened to my friend. When we lean solely on ourselves, we can be clouded easily by our passions and clouded by our own self-focus. Let wisdom and counsel be your coach. You can reach maximum potential that way. That, men and women, is the wisdom of amazing grace. Now, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we sing a closing song today. But as they're coming up, I want to look at one other verse of Scripture from Proverbs. It's Proverbs 1.7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And maybe you're here today and you yet don't know the living God. And the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? We recognize who He is and we respond accordingly. It means that you recognize that he is the source of wisdom. He is your creator. He embroidered you in your mother's womb. He knows you better than you know yourself. It means that we acknowledge his authority. He is called in the Bible the judge of all the earth. It means that we acknowledge his work on the cross. You can do that right where you are listening right now in your heart. Remember what it says. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool let's worship the living god